Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you remember, Jesus has been teaching that the set date for his return to the earth is not for us to know. But we are to be working and watching and ready for it, and we should be able to recognize that it's approaching. I'm going to say that to you again, because we're going to show you some scriptures that kind of lays that all out. He's made very clear that we Christians and everyone, no one's going to know the exact date of his return, but we're to be watching for it. We're to be ready for it, and the Bible actually says that we should be able to recognize that it's drawing near. Go with me to Acts chapter 17 first. Let's take a look at the fact that the scripture says that date's already been set. Too many people try to say, well, no, it'll only happen, you know, once we finally get the gospel to the whole world and all this stuff. And you've heard me already teach on that. The gospel has been preached in all creation, according to Acts, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. And Romans chapter 10 talks about the fact that his word has already gone out into all the earth. So the Bible is very, very clear that his word has been preached and continually needs to be preached everywhere. But the date for Jesus' return has already been set. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 17, verses 29 through 31. He's speaking to those the men on, uh, on the Areopagus there on Mars Hill. He said, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the Bible says that day has already been set. It's already been fixed. Now, are we to know when it's going to be? Not according to the scriptures and Jesus as we've seen in Matthew 24, but also here in Acts chapter 1. Go to Acts chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 11. So it said, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go up into heaven. So again, they said, you're going to restore the kingdom now. Is this the end? Not for you to know the times of the seasons. The father has what? Fixed by his own authority. That day's been set. It's already all in motion. Now go to Hebrews chapter 10, though, and look at verses 24 and 25. Uh, a passage of scripture that I had the privilege of preaching on, along with a few others, at First Baptist Merritt Island this past Sunday. Uh, and if you get a chance, you can go to um, 
First Baptist Merritt Island's website and look at the link for the message from uh, November 15th. I encourage you to do it. God really, he did a neat thing and uh, had the privilege of preaching both morning services there this past week, even though my knee was just replaced on Monday of last week. And God gave tremendous grace. But look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's possible to recognize that it's getting close. Don't get tempted into trying to figure it all out. That's no good. And at the same time, we got to keep in mind the date has already been fixed by God, even though we're not to know it. So Jesus is teaching in this parable that we're looking at here in Matthew 24. His teaching in this parable is that since we do not know when Jesus will return, instead of trying to guess, we should, be focus, we should focus on doing what he left us here to do so that he will find us doing when he comes. Go to Matthew 24 again. Look at verses 45 through 47. Matthew 24, verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. The one that's going to be rewarded is the one that's found what when Jesus returns? Working, doing what it is that God had gifted them to do. And so that's what I want you to understand. That's what Jesus is really getting at here in this parable and in the next and in the one that we're going to cover all three of these parables into chapter 25 tonight. All right. We're only here on this earth after salvation to accomplish God's purposes that he has in mind for us and through us and doing what he has for us to do. And when we do what he has for us to do, it will have us excited and at peace and ready for his return. A lot of people sit around saying, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Listen, you want to be set free from that worry? Just do some things that God's put on your heart and you are so busy doing and you'll see God working through you as you are used of him. You won't even have any time to worry about it. And the Bible actually says that's what sets our hearts at peace. And we're ready for his return. We're excited about his return because we're, we're, we're at the work that he's called us to do. You know, so let me just show you what I mean. Go to Acts chapter 13 and look at verse 36. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Paul's preaching and he describes uh, David's death in an interesting way. He's talking about the fact that David wasn't the one the prophecy talked about because he died and his body decayed. But the prophecy said that God wouldn't let his holy one see decay. But in Acts 13, verse 36, though, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. Or that means his body decayed. Again, when did David die according to this passage right here? After he had what? After he had served his purpose in this generation. In the same way, we are to be... If Jesus just wanted to save us and that was it, we get saved and go to heaven. But he leaves us here for a reason. And the Bible says it's because we're to be his hands and his feet. And he's gifted us all different ways. And we're to be at work doing the things that God has for each of us to do. Don't sit around trying to figure out what other people ought to be doing. And trust me, we've all been part of churches full of those kind of people that are full of ideas of what everybody else ought to be doing and how they ought to be acting. Don't, don't get caught up into that mess. Be happy with what it is that God's called you to do. But... Don't get comfortable with the fact of, thank God I'm saved. No, 
be busy doing. That's why what I had the privilege of preaching on on Sunday was from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to take a look at those two verses. Go ahead and turn there. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verses 12 and 13. Paul is writing to a church that he's just bragged about in chapter 1, bragged about them in chapter 2. And when he gets to chapter 3, instead of saying, you're, do good, you're doing good, just kind of stay there, he challenges them to do more. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verses 12 and 13. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And here's why. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The scripture is very clear that if you're busy doing what God's called you to do, you're ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Don't be sitting around trying to figure out when's he going to come and all this stuff. Just get busy doing what he's gifted you to do. And as you do that, you'll be ready. Your heart's at peace. But if you're sitting around in your house doing nothing, you're going to get caught up in do. Am I ready for his return? And Satan's going to mess with you. But you don't want Satan to mess with you. And the best way to get him from messing with you is just go do what he's gifted you to do. Well, what's that? Oh, that's between you and the Holy Spirit as he's put on your heart. Some of you are gifted to give generously to things and to get involved in ministries that you have a heart for. Some of you are servant type people. Some of you are great at writing cards and letters and encouraging the body. Some of you uh, have a heart for missions. Some of you like to do disaster relief. Some of you have different, whatever it is, go get involved in what God's called you to do. Look outside yourself, be used of God to encourage, and may you increase in these areas. And as you do, you're going to find Christianity is a blast. And when Jesus comes, you're ready. You know, that's one of the things for me is if you were to say, if Jesus came tomorrow, would you be ready? Yeah. I'm just, and what would you do differently tomorrow? Hopefully you do the same thing you had already planned. Everything you've been doing. Just keep living your life. Although I did hear this one guy. He said he had been taught to live every day like it was his last. He said, but he had to stop because his family got really tired of him calling them to say goodbye. So <laughs> go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 11. Second Peter chapter 1, listen to what he says here. His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You've already got it within you, but now you have to learn how to partake of it, how to tap into it, if you will, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Now, for this very reason, because you have it in you and you have the ability to tap into it, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, your knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, they will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want confirmation of your salvation? Go do what God's put on your heart to do. 
And as you do, and as you're busy doing what it is that he's left you here to do in the meantime, you're going to see God empowered in ways that are supernatural and you know you didn't do. And it's also going to set your heart at peace because you know you're his. It's obvious that God's at work and doing things. And when he returns, you're ready because he found you doing. That's the teaching of what the parables are going to be getting at. And Jesus says in this first one, he says the, in Matthew, back in Matthew 24, again, verses 45 through 47. Listen again. Who is the wise and the faithful servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. But as you know, the parable goes on and says this in verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. By the way, the hypocrites are those who are pretending to be something they're not. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the servant that thinks, well, I can live for myself and I'll cram at the last minute or fake it at the last minute, they're going to be sorely wrong. And most likely that servant isn't saved. The Bible is, says. I've actually had people say, I believe in all that Jesus stuff, but I'm going to live my life for now. And then as we get closer to when I'm going to die, then I'll get serious. Yeah, good luck. Actually, years ago, way, way back before I met my wife, uh, was this girl that I was interested in. And she claimed to be a Christian. And I knew I was. And I was interested in dating her. And what she told me was this. She said, Jim, you're really serious about your walk with Jesus. I'm not as serious as you are right now. I will be one day, but I want to sow my oats right now and have fun. And I don't think dating you would let me do that because you won't be willing to do some of the things I want to do. So she said, if you're still available when I'm ready to get serious with Jesus, I'd love to date you. Are you ready for this? My wife and I got married here 30 years ago in this sanctuary, and the reception was in this fellowship hall. And when we went back over the guest book, that young lady was actually at the wedding. We didn't know it. But we had over 500 people at our wedding, and I never saw her. And we've looked in the videos to try to find her in the crowd somewhere, but she had actually snuck here and come and watched me get married. I don't know if it was lamenting, because there are lots of women out there lamenting that they didn't get to marry me. But, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, don't miss this though, folks. This third servant was proven to really not be a Christian at the time of the judgment. He'll assign him a place with the hypocrites. If you remember, I've taught on this before when we looked at Jesus calling the Pharisees hypocrites. That word hypocrite comes from the Greek theater and they would wear masks and pretend to be somebody that they weren't. And that's what that word comes from. Don't miss this as well. What this teaching then is saying is, is that God's going to hold accountable Christians and non-Christians for what God gave them in this life to do. 
You think just Christians are going to be held accountable and rewarded accordingly? No, the lost world will be judged according to what they were here to do, how much light they received, whether or not they responded to it. And there were a lot of things that God wanted to do through them, but they wouldn't let him, and they will be judged for that as well. Keep that in mind. Go to Matthew chapter 7. You're in 24. Back up to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Don't miss that. We're just going to leave it at that. Not everyone that says, calls him Lord, Lord is going to get into heaven. But only those who are doing what it is he's called them to do. Now, again, don't let somebody else tell you what you're supposed to be doing. If God has saved you, and I thought about going down this road in our lesson for tonight, but I think time-wise I just didn't have the time to do it. I could walk you through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It talks about not only does he save us, he puts his spirit within us, and he's gifted us individually according to what he wants to do through us. We're not all hands. We're not all feet. We're not all ears. We're not all eyes. They're all different parts of the body, and they all have different responsibilities. At the same time, in the same way with us, don't, don't let anybody say, well, you ought to be doing this or you ought to be doing that. The church has done that for too long. But let me just ask you, are you growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you getting to know him more or are you just thank God I'm saved? There's too many churches full of thank God I'm saved and those people are just pew sitters. And the Bible says some of them may be in for a little bit of a surprise on the day of judgment where Jesus says, I never knew you. You want to get that settled? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, that his spirit confirms and testifies with our spirit through his children. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says that we can know that we have eternal life. You want to have it confirmed? Look for ways to bless other people and point them to Jesus, however it is you're gifted. And when you're doing it, you'll never have more fun. I know from talking to some of you, you've got involved in parachurch organizations or ministries outside the church and you actually started to find out being a Christian is a blast because half the time we're too busy just trying to follow the same church program that's going on in one size fits all. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Do what God's called you to do. And when he comes, you'll be ready and you'll have earned a lot of reward. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Let me just tell you, though, I was back when I was in schools, even in seminary, I was the master of the last minute preparation. I mean, I was very good at having a book report that was due and not reading the book until the night before and then hand in a paper on it. And I could get good grades. It would make people absolutely furious. I remember one time when I was in seminary, this buddy of mine, Eric, he's in Illinois right now. He, uh, he had this book from this one class he and I were taking. And I went, all of a sudden I realized, oh, the paper's due tomorrow on one of these books from this list of books. I better go to the library and find one. So I rushed to the library the night before the paper was due to go get one of those books. And of course, they were all checked out. So I ran down the hall to Eric, who was in, our, in that class with me, and I said, did you get one of those books on this list for the, for the class tomorrow? And he goes, yeah. I go, can I borrow it? He goes, why? I go, I haven't written, read the book or written my book report. He goes, I don't have time to give it to you for you to read it. I go, I wouldn't plan on reading it anyway. Can I have it for the next two hours? And he was like, okay. And uh, he gives me the book. And from reading the introduction and the stuff on the back and just flipping through it, I made a whole book report on this book that I didn't read. 
and I got a 98. And he read it. And he got a 96. And to this day, it still bugs him. I was very, very good at cramming at the last minute. But listen, I also knew what the deadline was. How would I have done if I didn't know the day that it was due? That's why I was not really good at pop quizzes. Because I wasn't ready for the pop quizzes. Folks, Jesus says to live as if every day is the test day. To be ready at all times. And this will have you prepared. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verses 25 through 34. In Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not, you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. They'll be taken care of. Look closely. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't miss what's underlying this teaching that's very familiar to all of us. We're to just worry about what day? Today. And just be doing today what it is you think God wants you to do. And I hope you're learning through the years of being in this study to get up on a daily basis and just say, Lord, lead me today and believe that he will. Spend time in the word. Spend some time in prayer. And then go about your daily life, but be looking and listening. Don't, you don't have to come up with a plan today. I'm going to share the gospel with three people. No. Just get up and let the Spirit lead you and guide you. And as you're looking for ways, according to your gifting, that God can use you, you're going to see opportunities arise. My wife and I today, uh, tonight right beforehand, I got an email. I get emails from different churches that I'm uh, part of and how I work with them ministry-wise. And we got an email from one of the churches about a ministry that they're going to be doing with the youth and reaching out to some underprivileged kids in that neighborhood. And they were asking for donations to this project. And something in my heart just leapt. Oh, I see about lots of opportunities to give to things. But I felt the Spirit say, you're supposed to give to this one. And I called my wife and I said, hey, come read this. She read it. I go, do you think? She was like, yeah. And so we immediately went, wrote down the address so that we can send a check to that church in Virginia to support that project that they're going to be doing for the young people. When God puts it on your heart, do it. Don't go, oh, you know, I, I, might, I might do that. Oh, that's something to think about. When he speaks, do it. Just do it. And so when you learn to live that way, you'll be able to look back and see all that God has done. Don't try to figure out how he's going to make it work and all that stuff. Just daily live for today, 
listening and watching. And that's how you'll be ready for when it comes. Now, Paul thought that Jesus' return for his church could happen in his lifetime. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul wasn't wrong for thinking that way. We're all to be acting as if it could be today. Why? Because we're not to know the day of the hour, and we're to definitely recognize that it's getting close, and it's been getting closer every, every day. But in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verses 50, 50 5-0 through 58. Listen to how Paul words this. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery, something that hadn't been revealed yet. We shall not all sleep. That means die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we, who? We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So he just, well, let me just keep reading. The sting of sin is, sorry, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see it again? All through. You want to be ready for the return of Jesus? Get busy doing what he's gifted you to do. Get busy doing what he's gifted you to do. People are like, Jim, why would you, less, uh, less than a week after your knee replacement surgery, get up and preach two services? Jim, why are we having Bible study tonight? I could have easily said, you know what, and with good excuse, and I'm sure my therapist would have signed off on it because she's sitting there going, how's he doing this? I could have easily said, let's just not do this. But folks, Jesus is coming back, and I want to be busy doing what he wants me to do. And I sense that he gave me the A-OK, and I've had the strength and the health to do it. And by God's grace, he's going to use it. And who knows, we might not have another Bible study between now and when we're scheduled to come back. And I wanted another opportunity to teach his word. I don't know how you're gifted. But daily look for ways for God to use you and watch how your heart will be at rest. And blessed will be the one he finds doing when he comes. Let's go back to Matthew 25 and look at verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to spend too, too much time on this parable, but there's a couple of things I want to pull out from it. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 
Now, Jesus has just told a parable that taught that his return might not be delayed, but soon, any day. Remember, we've just spent all our time looking at that. That one servant thought to himself, my master's not going to come back for a while. He's going to be delayed. I'm going to live for now, live for myself. And he was caught by surprise. So Jesus, probably knowing real well that we want to try to read between the lines of what he's saying, Knowing people's tendency to try to read between the lines and still guess at his meaning, Jesus now tells a parable that teaches that we're to not only be living as if it could be today, but also prepared for his return to be a long time in coming. That's pretty much the basis of this parable. Too many people have tried to take this parable and say, this represents this and this represents that. And Folks, when you try to make parables, every little detail fits something, you're going to mess yourself up. Because, again, in one parable, the leaven is sin, and another leaven is a good thing. So you've got to be careful about all that. But there's a teaching, a main teaching of the parable. And one of the main teachings of this parable is this. You need to be ready as if he's going to come back tomorrow and busy, and at work. But also keep in mind, his delay, or sorry, his return may be delayed, as it has been in many people's minds. Remember, it's been almost 2,000 years now since he ascended, and the angel said he'll come back in the same way. By the way, I don't know if many of you have caught this. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to show you that a very familiar passage that was written many, many years ago, thousands of years ago, a very familiar passage hinted at the fact that Jesus' return would be delayed. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and look at verses 1 through 4. Peter says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Now in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Did you catch that? Peter said, let me just give you a little heads up. In the last days, there's going to be people that are going to be saying, hey, where is this return that's all been prophesied and promised? Everything's going on just like it always has. And so here we see that the scripture hinted at the fact that his return would be seemingly delayed in our minds. But not only does this parable that Jesus gave us in Matthew 25 teach that we must be ready even if his return is seemingly delayed, it also teaches us that there is no second chance once you miss your opportunity. Let me say that again. There's no second chance once you miss your opportunity. That's why the importance of responding when the Spirit of God speaks to you. Because how many of us are promised tomorrow? Exactly. And actually, I wanted to, again, take you on another rabbit trail and show you all the scriptures that talk about the fact that the, the wicked are on like a banana peel. They're on a slippery slope, and at a moment, they could just be swept into hell. Into hell. Do you realize that every lost person in the world is possibly one breath away from hell? They're possibly one breath away from hell. We're possibly one breath away from heaven. Here's the deal. God loves everyone. 
He wants everyone to be saved. That passage in 2 Peter goes on and says his delay is not because he's slow, as some people count slow to us, but he's not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. The Bible says very clearly that God's using many, many, many different ways to reveal himself to the world. He's used creation so that all without excuse. He's written his law in people's hearts, whether they've heard his law, written law or not. He's used uh, not just creation, but the fact that he's provided rain and crops and food and provision. He's used his spirit to draw us. He's using other Christians in different ways. God's doing so many things in so many ways. He's even used supernatural events and miracles at times to get people's attention. Jesus is doing everything in his power to keep you from hell. But when that time for you comes to an end, your opportunity comes to an end. Again, we've already taught on this tonight. That there comes a point where God's purposes for you in this life are done and he takes you to be with him as a Christian. There comes a point where God says you've had your opportunity to be saved. When that point comes, there is no second chance. Don't let anybody try to teach you that there's a place called purgatory where you go and kind of have to suffer a little bit to pay for some of the things you've done and then people can pay money and pray you out of there. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you go back to Luke chapter 16, you'll see that um, the rich man awoke. He died and awoke in Hades and he saw Lazarus in the presence of God in Abraham's bosom. And he says, hey, send him to cool, to stick his finger in water and cool my tongue. And listen to what God says through Abraham. He says, there's a chasm between these two places so that nobody can pass from one to the other. If you're in Hades when you die, you will not pass into heaven later on. There's only one opportunity and no second chance. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verses 27 through 28. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And just as is it, appoint, is it, appoint, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear when? A second time. Not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In this passage that he's talking about a lot of deep theology, he says Jesus is coming back and he's not going to deal with sin in the sense of paying for it like he's already done. He's already done that. He's going to reward those who are eagerly waiting for him and judge the rest of the world. But it's appointed for a man to die once and then face the judgment. Folks, let me just say to you, the parable of the ten virgins says that there were those who were ready when he returned, even though it was delayed, and there are others who weren't. By the way, how do you get ready? Do you earn it by going to work? How do you get ready? Believe on Jesus Christ. Be sealed with His Spirit. Be sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, it'll never run out. Isn't that what Jesus taught? Whoever believes in me will receive rivers of living water. He'll never thirst again. Oh, these people that had some oil, but it ran out. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They had a taste of the Holy Spirit. Again, another whole angle I could take you into and show you that the Bible teaches that it's the Spirit of God who opens our eyes to salvation. It's the Spirit of God that, op Spirit of God that opens our eyes to who Jesus is. And there are those who have tasted of the heavenly gift. That doesn't mean they're saved. Would you not agree that you could taste something but not eat of it? There are those who have gotten enough of the Holy Spirit, enough of the oil, if you will, to taste of it. But they didn't get the kind that never runs out. 
But those of us who have been saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ have the Spirit of God and He seals us and it'll never run out. And we're ready for His return, even if it has been a while. Would you not agree, folks, and I know looking around this room, and I know many of you have known you for years, would you not agree that through the struggle of this life, those of you that have been Christians for many years, that there has been something supernatural that's kept you going when your flesh has wanted to quit? I know, Jim, you've gone through a struggle with your wife passing. And it's been not easy. It's been hard. But I also know that he who began the good work in Jim Semler will finish. And he's the one that gets us through, is it not? There's something holding on to us. That Holy Spirit will never run out for those of us who are truly his. Oh, but the Bible says there'll be those in the church who profess but don't possess. And as it gets longer, many fall by the wayside. Oh, trouble comes and Jesus disappointed them and they walk away. Or things of this world are more tempting and they go play with the world and they walk away. The Bible says they never had salvation. Oh, they tasted of the Holy Spirit. He opened their eyes. They understood the truth. But they were never sealed with the Holy Spirit. And those people's oil runs out. When times are long and hard. But thank God for those of us who are His... It'll never run out. Go to Matthew 25. Look at verses 14 through 30. Jesus now tells a third parable. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents and to another two, to another one, and to, to each according to his ability. Now then he went away. Now he had received the five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. By the way, don't miss that. He's going to come and settle accounts with us. Some of your King James translations say reckoned with them. That's an accounting term. He reckoned with us. Or is going to reckon with us. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, excuse me, he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. He, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As he also who had received the one, who, one talent now came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has, so everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this last parable ties it all together. 
and teaches that the underlying theme that has been in all three parables. The issue is not the when of Jesus' return, but what we do in the meantime between our salvation and Jesus' return. We will all be reckoned with, and we should take this seriously, but not be scared. I'm going to say this to you again. We're all going to be reckoned with. Again, you're not going to be judged on whether or not you get into heaven. That's already been given to you as a gift. That's already a promise from the Father. Whoever believes in Him will receive what? Everlasting life. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're saved. That's taken care of. But there is going to be a judgment seat of Christ. The Bible calls it the Bema seat. We will each be reckoned with according to what he gave each of us to do. And we will receive whether or not it's good or bad. Go look at that later on in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 verses 5 and following. We'll all receive a reckoning at that time. We should take it seriously, but don't get scared. We're all going to be measured against what each of us have been assigned by God to do. We're not going to be measured against each other. Thank God for that, right? But for too long, Christians have said, everybody needs to pull their equal weight. Have you heard that? It's not what the Bible teaches. I was wrong myself for years. I used to make this statement. 20% of the people in the church are doing 80% of the work. But the more I studied the scripture, the more I came to realize there are going to be those who are asked to do more. And those who aren't as asked to do as much. And when we stand before God, he's not going to measure us against how how much Susie worked or Bob worked or Joe worked. He's going to hold you accountable for what he gave you to do. Don't miss that. The one who had the five talents that had been, uh, by the way, each according to their what? They're given talents each according to their ability. And who's the one that knows your ability? God. Who's the one that gave your ability? God. And so God's only going to hold you accountable for what he knows you're able to do and what he's gifted you to do. And that's it. So don't sit around measuring how much you're doing compared to anybody else. Just are you doing what God's asked you to do? And the one who had been given the five talents, it turned into five more. And if you look closely, the master says, word For word, the same thing that he says to the one that had the two talents and it had turned into two. Did you see it? Look again in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 23. For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. Listen closely. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Word for word, the same thing the guy that had done more. But he had been given more responsibility. If I were to ask you to list for me right now the 12 apostles, could you do it? Probably not. But if I asked you to name three, you could probably say Peter, James, and John, right? Why? Because we see them a lot. 
The reason we have trouble with some of the other guys is we only see their names listed once or twice and we don't hear a whole lot more about them. But you know why? They all didn't have the same level of responsibility. But Peter, James, and John had a greater responsibility, more expected of them later on in the ministry years. And that's why they had more time with Jesus when he was transfigured. They were the only ones that saw it. When he healed Jairus' daughter, and they were the only ones that saw it, along with the family. When he prayed in the garden a little further on, he kept them with him. There are some people, I'm not going to say us because I'm not sure I'm one of them, but there are some people that are expected to have more than others. Now, we're not to try to figure out if we're a five, two, or a one. Don't assign yourself and say, I'm okay, I'm just going to be a two. Well, if God wants you to be a five and you think you're a two, that's not good. Just understand that he said some are five, some are two, and some are ones for this reason, so that you won't compare yourself with anybody else. You just be doing what he's asked you to do. Now, go to Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 3 through 8. Romans chapter 12. Look closely at what it says. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members or parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're parts or members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Now, if it's prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, in your serving, and the one who teaches, in your teaching, and the one who exhorts or encourages, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, don't try to be like anybody else. Just be yourself and work where God's told you to. Get involved in the areas that God's put on your heart. Go to John 21. In John 21, verses 18 through 22, even amongst the Peter, James, and John, there's going to be different levels of responsibility and expectation by the master. In John 21, look at verses 18 through 22. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, truly I, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Peter has just been told by Jesus, you're going to stretch out your hands. He had been told by Jesus, you're going to die by crucifixion. He showed him what kind of death he was going to glorify God. So Peter now turns and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following them, and the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that's going, he's the one that said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, if I want you to die of crucifixion and John stay alive until I return, What's that to you? Yet some of us have been kind of derailed over the years because we've compared our lives and our lot in life with somebody else's. They have a better marriage. They have a better house. They have a better car. They have better this, better that. And we were like, well, how come that person gets that? And I don't, oh, be satisfied with where you are and be serving God how he's gifted you. And don't compare yourself with anybody else, 
But the Bible says those who have been faithful over little will be what? Given more. So just be faithful to do what he's asked you to do and you will find happiness. That's why the Bible talks about the fact that not everybody's to get married. I know in our society, everybody's supposed to get married. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, some people have been ordained and designed by God to be single. And if they've been wired by God to be single, they should be single. There's nothing wrong with getting married because God's designed babies and more people to be born and people come to salvation and all that. But again, don't assume that what God's design is for your life is what it is for everybody else's life. Again, live the life God has for you. Now, the third servant, though, at the time of reckoning, was proven to be a hypocrite. Again, someone pretending to be someone they weren't. But you also, if you look closely, you'll notice that this third servant had no relationship with the master. He didn't really know him. Go back to Matthew 25 and look at verses 24 and 25. In Matthew 25, verse 24, he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Think for a second. The third servant says, I knew you to be a hard man. I've heard that you are a hard man. Does that match up with what the scripture says who Jesus is? No. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Listen to Jesus' own words. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not a hard man. Let me show you what John himself said. Go to uh, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, back by Revelation. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 3. Listen closely to what it says. 1 John 5 verses 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Listen, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you know why his commandments aren't burdensome? And his yoke, which is work, is light and easy? It's because when we know him and we rest in him, he's the one who empowers us. He's the one who does it through us. And so folks, let me just encourage you. If we, let me just say it to you this way, that if we view Jesus in the way the third servant did, we'll either one, kill ourselves trying to please him and never feel like it's enough. And by the way, I lived that way for a long time in the early part of my Christian life. I had been taught a legalistic kind of a theology and it was up to me to earn approval. And for years, even though I was saved, didn't have a fuller understanding of who Jesus really is. And I spent most of my early years of my Christian life trying to please God and never feeling like it was enough. Anybody else ever been there where you just didn't feel like it was enough? Until God finally began to open my eyes to who Jesus really is and how I had been taught a whole wrong line of how to look at him. And now I work more than I did before and it's easier and easier. And I don't sit around wondering how I'm doing. I just enjoy what he's gifted me to do. 
You're either going to kill yourself trying to please him and you're never going to think it's enough, or you're just going to give up trying to live for him. Pretty much bury your talent in the ground. There's a lot of people that have had that mindset as well, and they just give up. Now, as we close tonight, I want to pull something out of here, though, that some of you might have a problem with. I've seen people over the years say, wait a minute, hang on, Jim. Look how harshly the master treated the third servant. Isn't that proof that he's harsh? I mean, he's just said, I heard you're a hard man. And then the, man, the master, verse 26, answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he'll have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've heard people say, Jim, if he's so loving and kind and nice, why was he so harsh with this third servant? Listen closely. Jesus first points out the third servant's hypocrisy. I mean, if he really thought that he was, the master was demanding, he would have tried to do something to please him. But he didn't. If he really saw him in that way, he would have tried to live according to how he saw him and do something. But the third servant's actions actually showed more interest in his own pleasures rather than the interest of the master. By the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says that when we get saved, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died for us. So Jesus, first off, points out his hypocrisy. He says, okay, you really see me that way? If you had really seen me that way, even though you say you did, uh, you would have done something, but you didn't. But also, Scripture teaches us, and this is what we're going to wrap up with tonight. Scripture teaches us that God is loving and merciful, merciful and patient, and He's already paid the price for our sins. He did this while we were lost and powerless and His enemies. You go look at that later on in Romans chapter 5. It lays it all out. But if we reject all he has done to keep us from experiencing his wrath towards sin, we have nothing left but to experience his wrath. Let me say this to you again. Scripture teaches that God's loving and merciful and he's patient and he's already paid the price for our sins. And he did this while we were lost and powerless and his enemies. But if we reject all that he's done to keep us from experiencing his wrath towards sin, we have nothing left but to experience his wrath. Go back to John chapter 3, verse 16, a very familiar passage that people love to quote, but look at the rest of it. John chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 20. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Now, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Now go with me to Romans chapter 2, our last passage for tonight. Romans chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 11. There's a song that has come out of this passage years ago, and I've been singing it in my heart all afternoon. Romans chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 11. Paul's laying out that everybody's guilty, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we're all guilty before God because of sin. 
He says, therefore, you have no excuse. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. You have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Now, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God for yourself? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Did you hear what it says? It's his kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance. God loves the world. And he is giving that opportunity for everyone to be saved. And if you see him as a hard man, you don't know him. But if you reject everything he's done to keep you from his wrath towards sin, we're going to get to this later on in our study of Matthew when Jesus talks about hell a little bit. And he describes hell as the place that was created for Satan and his angels. One created for us. It was created for Satan and his angels. But if you choose to reject everything Jesus has done to make it so that you can go to heaven and you want to listen to Satan, you become one of his followers and guess where you're going? A place called hell and it's real and it's eternal and you will experience the full wrath of God toward your sin. I pray everybody here knows him and wants to know him more. I love you. We'll see you in a few weeks.